0: I'm going to play you a sound, and I bet you won't be able to tell me what it is. Ready? So that was the Santa Cruz River in Tucson, Arizona. While most rivers sound like, the Santa Cruz sounds like, but it hasn't always. In fact, this is the reason over a million people are living in the Tucson metro area, which can be kind of surprising. Landmark, Tucson, anything come to mind? I'd just have to say, uh, saguaro cactuses. I mean, it sounds kind of weird with the prison when you're coming down here. Mount Lemon, I guess. So mountains? Yeah, definitely. It's tempting to call the Santa Cruz a forgotten landscape, but this seems simplistic. Over the past 30 years, Pima County, which contains Tucson, has seen its population nearly double. Many of these new Tucsonans have migrated to the Sun Belt from elsewhere in the country, and have no awareness or memories of the river. For them, the Santa Cruz may be little more than a cement and sand drainage ditch running through Hispanic neighborhoods and industrial districts they'll never visit. Whether their stay in Tucson is long or short, the river is easily missed. But for others, perhaps a small minority, the dry bed of the Santa Cruz continues to make Tucson, well, Tucson. Some of these people live in the barrios next to the river and trace their families back several generations, back to when the Santa Cruz still flowed. Others are newcomers with an interest in environmental restoration, local history, or simply finding a place to jog that's away from traffic. Some of the homeless call the river home. There's only one river, but there are many Santa Cruzes.
1: So much of our history ties to the river from agriculture to how everybody got here. They made their settlements along the river because that's where the water was at.
2: We have 4,000 years of farming in the region thanks to the river. Well, it was everything before the railroad particularly. I mean, it was transportation, it was water for crops.
3: It was the lifeline. There would have been no Tucson without a flowing stretch of the Santa Cruz River. So it was the heart and soul of the community.
0: I'm walking along an asphalt path that traces the west bank of the Santa Cruz River. Tucson surrounds me, the abbreviated skyline of its downtown glowing over the elevated tan freeway to the east. It's a late afternoon in November, and a light wind is blowing, crisp, 60-degree air across my face. When the wind blows from the west, it has a refreshing, clean quality, but today it's blowing from the east, and bears a faint trace of exhaust from Interstate 10 and the Union Pacific Railroad. The weather is clear and the sun is retreating behind the jagged silhouette of the tucson mountains the river is to my right a wide channel 20 feet below ground level its steep banks frozen in place by rough cement that glows orange in the afternoon light the sandy channel is dotted with the low green forms of desert broom while a few mesquite and salt cedar trees grow on the border of the river and the cement bank A lone Hispanic man wearing a cowboy hat races his dark horse back and forth on the sandy river bottom. To my left, a thin patch of dry grass and scraggly acacia trees divide the multi-use path from a residential street of low, brick houses. Many of the houses are surrounded by dirt yards and chain-link fences. Wrought iron bars defend more than a few windows. In front of me... Kids run around on a large play structure that's surrounded by mesquite trees. They scream in English and Spanish, while their young parents watch them. There are two white couples, two Hispanic, and one that appears East Indian. They do not mingle. Nearby, a homeless man with a shopping cart systematically refills one-gallon water jugs from a drinking fountain. If the parents watch him, their gazes are discreet. The sun drops and the air temperature quickly follows suit. Families get in cars and vanish, while the homeless man rolls his cart south along the path, slowly heading towards the St. Mary's Bridge. The silence is only accentuated by the white noise of the interstate to the east. It sounds like a distant river. I walk back to my car and slam the door. The empty riverbed stretches across my field of view and headlights chase after each other on the interstate. The Santa Cruz is here in three dimensions, but I want to see it in four. The river wasn't always like this. It needs to be contextualized
4: in time. And so in the olden days, if the river was perennial in its flow, you would have found native fish species that would have been in the river. you know, drink protracted drought periods, uh, it would have been a series of, you know, low-lying pools and kind of stagnant water. So it wouldn't have been a, you know, voluminous river.
3: And one old-timer actually said that during the early summer months, oftentimes there wasn't enough water in the Santa Cruz to give a horse a drink of water.
2: Water was precious, but it was still there in a relative abundance, at least most of the time. I mean, they were able to have a whole social structure around these water bodies. It had to, at least among some of the people, made them much more acutely aware of their presence in an unpredictable environment. They could go from extreme drought to extreme floods.
3: Wherever there was surface water, you'd have these large stretches of riparian vegetation with great cottonwood trees, with willows, And of course, that riparian vegetation would have supported dense populations of birds and other animals. So they were very, very verdant oases in the desert.
4: That water that's in the river is actually connected to shallow groundwater. So you go back to the 1700s, they would have had wells, and they would have been the open well. You'd dug a big hole, and you'd have found water at the bottom of it perennially.
3: After Tucson became a part of the United States, as more and more people began to move here, uh, there was a greater demand for food and people tried to get more out of the river than it could really provide in order to get more water for irrigation. People began to excavate interception ditches upriver. Well unfortunately what those ditches did was to channelize the river. The typical pattern before that was that whenever enough rain fell the water would hit all of that riparian vegetation and replenish the aquifer but with those intercept ditches the floodwaters increased in velocity and ran off much more quickly as that downcut you not only had more water flowing away less water in the river but then you know you might have had your fields 10 or 20 feet above where the flow was that left more and more Tucson fields high and dry. You know, in a sense, farmers in Tucson participated in the destruction of their own livelihood.
0: The next morning, I ride my bicycle south along the Santa Cruz path. The cracked pavement under my tires leads me past the Garden of Gethsemane, a stucco-walled enclosure surrounding the Christian sculptures of Felix Lucero. Lucero was a veteran of the First World War, who, legend has it, vowed to dedicate his life to the production of religious art after surviving a gruesome battle. White plaster faces from the Last Supper peek out at me through an opening in the wall, and then vanish as the path leads me under the Congress Street Bridge. The morning light does nothing to relieve the gloom under the bridge. Despite the cool weather and stiff wind blowing down the river, A bronzed homeless man sits, shirtless and cross-legged, on a cement ledge to my right. He's hunched forward, eyes closed, mouth open, one hand tightly grabbing his nose. Then he raises his other hand, forms a fist, and begins to hammer on the back of his head with his knuckles. The sound is hollow, like a woodpecker abusing a dead tree. As I pedal away, I can still hear it. The staccato click-click-click reverberating off the concrete bridge. Lucero lived under another version of this bridge in the late 30s as he crafted his sculptures out of river mud, debris, and plaster. Seventy years ago. What did he see when he woke up in the morning? What did the river mean to him? Did it mean anything? We'll probably never know Lucero's thoughts, but we do know that the Santa Cruz he slept in was a river in transition far more natural than the dirt channel full of overturned shopping carts and half-buried car tires to my left, but a far cry from the lush if temperamental Santa Cruz that drew Native Americans, Spaniards, Mexicans, and even early waves of Americans to Tucson. Lucero's River was a dry river, and it had been for over four decades.
4: Tucson's growth in terms of population, and therefore demand for water and impact on land use, took off in the early 20th century. Uh, The technological innovation that permitted a lot of this is the advent of the mechanized pump. We get this pump and everything changes, and we're still figuring out the implications of that change because now we're digging down into the aquifer and we're now trying to pump aquifer water. So now instead of the aquifer feeding the river, the river is feeding the aquifer, and the more you pump down now, what you do is you basically draw all that surface water that's in these puddles and ponds, or had been sort of in the river channel, you, you, you dry all that out.
0: Late afternoon. I walk south along the Santa Cruz until the path ends. To my right, the Pima County Jail towers overhead. The yard is directly next to me, and through the chain link and razor wire, I can see inmates in orange jumpsuits milling around while a voice yells through a loudspeaker. The path stops, the soil cement vanishes, and suddenly, I descend an eroded bank into the deep white sand of the riverbed. The air is warm and still. As I crunch further south, the river widens into a huge sheet of sand, a cultural blind spot lost between a freeway far to the east and a sharp bank lined with fences to the west. Despite the river's breadth and emptiness, this stretch of the Santa Cruz feels claustrophobic. There isn't an easy way to escape, except back the way I came. I approach a cluster of huge, invasive salt cedars, their boughs touching the ground, shaggy leaves forming a nearly opaque green wall in front of me. A homeless camp is barely visible inside the tree, complete with broken-down office chairs, sleeping bags, and coolers trash is strewn everywhere the next salt cedar is the same way and the one after that nobody appears to be around but you can't walk through a place like this without feeling watched all i can hear are a few birds set against the calm white noise of the distant freeway this is the middle of an urban environment yet you can vanish here without notice which is hard to believe given that this stretch of the Santa Cruz was the agricultural heart of Tucson from the earliest American Indians up until the first decades of the 20th century. I turn around and try to imagine what this area looked like when it was an irrigated mosaic of fields. My eyes rest on the concrete tower of the prison. In the early 19th century, Tucson was famous for its quince trees. This is impossible for me to visualize.
5: called the wash. I know it's a dried out river. They call it the wash. When I first came out here, I thought it was kind of interesting. I'd walk along. I just thought it was kind of interesting to look at. I mean, walk along through here, see people riding horses through here. I mean, people
1: that come from out of town, how do you call this a river? That's what it is, you know, it's the Santa Cruz. So.
2: I never thought of it as anything different from a river until I had some friends from Canada that came. and. They said, you keep talking about these rivers, but every time we go by, they're just, there's nothing in them. They're river beds. What keeps popping in my head, what I want to say, is I consider it a river all year long, whether it's dry or has water in it. Well, people who don't know anything about it probably think we've already lost. We don't have a river. Um, we have a river bed, but it can get worse. And if we don't value it, then there's no hope for improving it. It's probably with most things you don't realize what you've lost until it's gone. It's very strange. I just don't think people equate Tucson with water very much. How often do you see it brought up in newspapers? How often in art? And as long as the water flows out of the tap the way it does, I think people are really pretty happy.
0: The river didn't vanish overnight. Instead, it slowly faded away a physical decline that mirrored its economic decline in the community. By 1880, the year that the railroad connected Tucson to the larger American economy, almost all of the Santa Cruz's water was being routed into irrigation projects. Thirty years after that, regular surface flow was mostly gone, local farmers had turned to groundwater pumping, and national agriculture was on its way to displacing local agriculture anyway. The river was overstretched before Tucson's population even reached 14,000 people. Underneath the river, the water table remained fairly high until the 1940s, when we catch back up with Felix Lucero living under the Congress Street Bridge and producing his religious sculptures. From the teens until World War II, the Santa Cruz still flowed occasionally and large bosques of mesquite continued to grow near it, their deep roots tapping into groundwater. But Tucson's post-war boom caused the aquifer to plummet, starving the trees and causing the river's infrequent flows to be absorbed quickly into the soil. The city's economy had transformed further, with housing, industry, and government projects all moving onto former agricultural land. The Arizona School for the Deaf and Blind, the county jail, and a large waste disposal facility were all built directly in the floodplain, as if the river didn't exist. The only problem was that, given enough rain, the river would reappear as a violent torrent of brown water that cut banks, knocked out bridges, and wrecked nearby buildings. Flood control debates periodically flared up from the 50s to the 70s, but it wasn't until two spectacularly destructive floods in 1977 and 83 that the U.S. Corps of Engineers channelized and cemented the banks of the Santa Cruz, creating the landscape we see today. For most Tucsonans, the river had long ceased to be a source of identity and was, if anything, an embarrassing drainage problem. Yet for some, the Santa Cruz remained an important part of the city.
1: Growing up, I came to school right here in Menlo Park, and I lived on the south side, so we used to cross over it every day on the way to and from school, so I remember the floods of 83. My grandfather brought me right here down to Congress, and we saw the bridge get taken out. And...
5: I'm a traveler, so I was looking for a place I could camp out, they told me, I the people who camp out along the river. That's what they told me. That's how I got out here. But I mean, I don't camp out here. It doesn't look like a good spot to camp out. If it rains, it'll wash you away. You Know what I mean? Well, that was in October, several years ago, when it flooded. I was standing up at the river, at the bridge, and you could touch it. You just bend over, you could put your hand in it. It was very exciting. I had never done that. Well, I think it's life-giving, I think. That's what makes it exciting. I mean, it used to be just dirt. Where when the water got up to that, it takes a lot of big spots out. I seen when it was all the way up, when we almost were scared of it, it's going to overflow. That was twenty some years ago, maybe longer. We were living in the tunnel, one of those storm drains. Then we got a little rained out, and, uh, but we made it out of there safe, thank God. You learn from your mistakes, so we camp somewhere else now, and uh, we go down there when it rains.
4: It's not heavy duty.
0: I need to go see water. Hopping in the car, I explore the Santa Cruz north and south of Tucson, where the river has two small, artificially flowing stretches. The northern stretch is fed by a small part of Tucson's effluent, while the southern water originates at the Nogales International Wastewater Treatment Plant. The effluent smells like an over-chlorinated pool, so I hold my nose and appreciate that it generally looks and sounds right. Plants are thriving, too. Tall cottonwoods with their leaves turning yellow, dense patches of green and brown cattails, and a few desert willow that will explode with purple-white flowers in the spring. North of Tucson, a hawk intently watches a pile of junk in the sunken green waterway from its perch on the brown metal railing that traces the cement riverbank. It's a weird combination of the natural and the unnatural. South of Tucson, near the old Spanish mission of Tumacacarí, the Santa Cruz flows freely at surface level far enough from the treatment plant that it doesn't smell. Cottonwoods are everywhere, their massive gray-white trunks obscuring the mission and nearby mountains. This feels closer. I focus on the sound of the river and the leaves, trying to imagine how amazing this place must have been to Indians and Spaniards traveling through the desert on foot or horseback. The Santa Cruz continues to be remarkable today, though for starkly different reasons. Once it was life in the desert, the place you went to find people. Now it's desert in the city and life in the suburbs, both places you go to escape people.
5: I walk along through here sometimes just to be at peace. I sit in a little bushy area out there, be away from everybody. That's why I come to this park, get away from that city madness. You know what I mean? It's peaceful down there. I met a woman out here. She'd sit here and pray to um, the sacred spirit, the great spirit as she spoke to me I could I could feel its presence What I mean she told me tonight it's in the birds when they sing it's in the wind when it blows it's in the trees As she spoke to me I could um I could I could feel its presence and um so um I hang around here hopefully I'd see her again if she's still around
2: We take it for granted, and, and it's, it's a beautiful, uh, almost spectacular, uh, you know, place to walk around And I would really hate to grow so old that I cannot enjoy
5: it anymore. <laughs> I think it's gotten better, because we can use it more. Just walking, running, bicycling, people come out, families, you know, and things like
1: that. To me, my job's all about being a good land steward, trying to leave a better place for the next generation, that they could come out here and enjoy the the river trail as the people that use it now. I think to me, that's my job, and I take pride in doing it.
2: I don't know that it has a lot of future beyond what it is right now, and that's that it remains essentially invisible to people in this city, and as something of an eyesore if they don't see the little bits of it that are actually Attractive in quotation marks. And, and, I, and it actually makes me sad. Um, the river dried up, but the Tahanaotham didn't go away. The Pasquayaki didn't go away. The history that is tied with having the river here remains, and, and the cultural influence that the river had is very much alive.
3: You also lose all of the aesthetic and cultural values that a living river provides. You lose the shade. You lose the the beauty. You lose the riparian vegetation.
4: But what we might have gained, and some people would say, well, is that really a gain, you know, is us being here and, and settling here and so forth. And I'm a transplant. And it's hard to say no growth, but wouldn't you let me in? Back
0: in Tucson, another day is ending with a run along the Santa Cruz sunset has painted the hulking santa catalina mountains sequentially gold pink and then blue their caps are frosted white with recent snow it's cold and my eyes water as they scan from the mountains down to the river next to me a filthy brown scar 20 feet below the surface of the earth the contrast is pitiful or laughable or both a repetitive squeak comes up behind me and then I'm running next to a man in his early 20s on an abused-looking mountain bike with a seat pitched contraceptively far back. His long-sleeved brown shirt is tucked into his jeans, as is his semi-automatic. He looks at me and smiles. Then he rides slowly past me, constantly throwing glances over his shoulder. Then he stops, and I run past him. Then he rides past me again, waving this time, but still furtively watching behind him. It's close to dark when he stops in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I glance through the bars to see his bike leaned up against Felix Lucero's Last Supper. Diners at the Last Supper are periodically beheaded, and then glued back together by Parks and Rec. But I wonder if, tonight, they're going to be executed by firing squad. I run back to my car, with more motivation than usual. Later, I tell the story to an unimpressed group of friends. It's the Santa Cruz, they say.
3: long ago reached our local limits. And what we've been doing for all of the 20th century is we've been mining what is is essentially a non-renewable resource. There are limits to growth in an arid land. Water, real or imagined, is money and is power here. The pressures to continue to grow, to sell land, to create new subdivisions will keep on pushing and pushing and pushing until those subdivisions run out of water and dry up and blow away.
2: It may be that we can continue like this into the indefinite future, but on the other hand, given the projections of climate change for this area and the impacts on water supplies, it might be that people want to pay a little more attention If you don't understand something about the natural world that you're in, can you really, really make good decisions? And so it's not dead. The issue of the river is not dead.
0: The Santa Cruz may no longer be central to Tucson's culture, but as a landscape of our own creation, it's a symbol of the cost of having a civilization in the desert. Underneath the rhetoric and fantasies of the Arizona dream, There's an environmental reality. There's no better place to think about this than on the cement banks of the Santa Cruz. I'm Angus Anderson. The interviews, in order of appearance, are students from Dr. Sally Marston's American Landscape class at the University of Arizona, Carlo Duarte, a trades and maintenance tech for the Pima County Parks and Recreation Service, Vanessa Bechtel, the executive director of the Santa Cruz Valley Heritage Alliance, Susan Gamble, owner of Santa Teresa Tileworks, Tom Sheridan, a professor of anthropology at the Southwest Center at the University of Arizona. Chris Scott, an assistant research professor of water resource policy at the Udall Center for Public Policy. Barbara Morehouse, the deputy director for research at the Institute of the Environment. And then for interviews along the river, Anthony, Anna, Mike, and Martha.